Psalm 81, beginning in verse 8. Listen to these words. Listen and sense and feel the weight of this matter on our Creator's heart. God speaks to the psalmist and says, Hear my people, and I will warn you. If you would but listen, if you would listen to me, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not bow down to an alien god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But my people, they would not listen. They would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would but listen, if they would but listen to me, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foe. And let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for dramatic moments in human history when, without a shadow of a doubt, you intervene, you show yourself, you move in pronounced and profound ways to reach out and to help your people and your creation. Now, God, give me strength of body, mind, and spirit that your work may be accomplished in Christ's holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Dr. Arthur Candelillo writes, Listening. Listening is one of the most meaningful ways that we can show our devotion to God. Listening is one of the most meaningful ways that we can show our devotion to God. The Bible is rich in examples of God communicating to God's people, of God speaking to His people. We remember that notable moment when God spoke through a burning bush to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. We remember as God spoke to Abraham and Sarah, though they were in old age, God promised them a child. We remember when God spoke to Joshua after the passing of Moses. And God told Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And Joshua was afraid. And God said to Joshua, Be strong, be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We remember that moment in Isaiah the prophet's life when he was searching for direction. And God spoke to Isaiah and said, This is the way. Walk in it. We remember the Christmas story as God spoke to a young unpretentious virgin named Mary. And God said to her that she would be with child and give birth to a son. And they would call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And then God spoke to the man she was pledged to marry, Joseph. 
and said, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And we remember that God spoke to that man, a Jewish rabbi by the name of Saul of Tarsus, the man who persecuted the early Christian church. And God spoke to him the road to Damascus as he was traveling with documents of authority to further arrest more Christians and persecute them. And God struck him down with a blinding light and he heard the words of Christ, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that day, Saul of Tarsus became a believer in Christ. And from that point, he would go on to become this great, great missionary in our history, writing half of the New Testament literature. God speaks. The question is, are we listening? Sometimes God speaks in very direct ways sometimes very subtle and almost imperceptible ways. But I am convinced that God longs to communicate to God's people. No relationship is meaningful without communication. And the Bible, again, is just rich in examples of God speaking, of God communicating to His people. And in today's text, can you feel the ache of God's heart? Three times in a very few short verses, God said, if, if my people, if they would only listen to me, if they would only listen, how many times has, as we as parents, anybody ever said to your child or children, if you'd only listen to me? If we'd only listen. God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Now sometimes people will ask us clergy, how does God speak? And I think for me, in my mind, I understand what I sense is that God speaks basically in four different ways today. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through His Spirit. He speaks through circumstances in our life. You know, you go through something in life, and all of a sudden it begins to dawn on you that God is trying to impress something upon your heart, that God is trying to nudge or, or, or to just kind of gently, ever so gently point you in some direction. And then sometimes God speaks to other people. Now, Maybe it's a problem I have. I have always been uncomfortable with people approaching me and saying, God told me to tell you. You know, I don't like that. Uh, you know, and you know, some of you know that I shared this once before. When, when I was feeling the call to ministry, and when I had made the announcement in the church we were a part of, minister's wife called me one night. It was about quarter of nine. I'll never forget it. And one of the questions we were struggling with was, should we sell our house? What do we do with our house? Because we'll be going to a church and they'll have a parsonage. And what will we do with this house? And so we were vacillating in our mind, should we keep the house and rent it or should we sell it? So this minister's wife calls me about quarter of nine. 
And she says, George, God told me to tell you to sell the house. Well, as Vera says, the little rat terrier within came out. And I said to her, I'll be talking to God in just a few minutes. And if he says anything about it, I will. When God speaks to other people, I don't think they're even aware of it. I know as clergy, there are times people will say to Dean, or I'm sure to Dale many times, and to Bill, and whoever, you know, you were speaking to me today, and I always say, I wasn't speaking to you. Maybe God was speaking to you. God speaks. And the question is, are we listening? Are we trying to stay, stay attuned to what, what God wants in each of our lives? So I want to begin this morning upon the request of a member here to, to, to address this subject. And I want to begin with, with maybe the most obvious way God speaks. And, and that's through the Bible. You know, these are, this is not just a book. It's not just printed words on a page. This is the life breath of God. The psalmist writes that it's, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. It's our book of instruction. It's a book of guidance. It's a book of teaching. It not only reveals God's nature, this loving and gracious and kind and wonderful being, it reveals our nature as well. It reveals his redeeming and reconciling work through Christ. It reveals in part his will and purpose for our lives. It's alive. It's as relevant today as it was when these words were penned. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy? That all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Pinned by human hands. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes that it's useful for teaching, for correction, and also for training up in righteous living. The Word is powerful. And it does speak to us. And I'm sure all of us have had the experience where we were reading and all of a sudden, we had read the text many times, and all of a sudden the text just, just kind of grips our heart and grips our soul. And we, we're like, I've read this many times, but I never saw that before. And that is the way God speaks to your heart and to my heart. You know, before I went in ministry, I was a Gideon. And the Gideons, you're familiar with their ministry, they hand out Bibles. They place Bibles in hospitals and hotel rooms and all that. And uh, when I got ready to go in ministry, I found out I could no longer be a Gideon. You can't be a minister and be a Gideon. Now, I've always had a little bit of concern about that. But uh, anyhow... Uh, the Gideons have preserved for us many wonderful stories of how the Word has spoken to people. And I, have, I read one where a little girl named Katie in a poor coal mining town in the town of 900 people. It's named Colwood, West Virginia. Katie was one of four children. 
Her father worked in the mines. So every morning, her father would kiss his wife and the children goodbye. And he would go to the mine. There he would enter the bowels of the earth, exposing himself to great danger, black lung disease, explosion, toxic fumes, cave-ins. And every Sunday, the family would go to church, all six except for one, Katie's father. He didn't go to church with his wife and children. He was most supportive of them going to church, but he didn't go to church. One Sunday, Katie came home from church all excited. At the age of seven, the Gideons had visited that little church. And all the little boys and girls had been given a little pocket Bible. And it was Katie's first Bible. And she was so excited. And the teacher had them all find John 3.16 and, 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 and to, to make note of it. For God so loved the world. So Katie was all excited and she showed her daddy. And her father's response was kind of bland. Kind of benign. He thought it was nice, but he showed no real excitement. Some days later, there was a, the siren sound in that community. It was a sound no one ever wanted to hear. There had been an explosion in Cave-In. Katie's father and 19 miners, 19, 18 other miners were trapped. Three days later, the rescuers reached them. And the news, the the anxious family received was not good. All of a sudden, 19 wives found themselves widows. And all of a sudden, countless children found themselves fatherless. When the personal effects were returned to the families, Katie's family was surprised, Katie wasn't, that with her, with her father's personal effects was the little Gideon Bible. Unbeknownst to anybody else in the family, that morning before the cave-in, little Katie had slipped her Bible into her father's pocket of his mining coat. And when that Bible was examined, they found in one of the first pages that were blank, a crudely written note smudged by coal dust from her father, telling the family how much he loved them. But at the bottom, there were two words. And the two words were, I believe. I believe. That's the power of the word. And by the way, didn't Jesus say something about, oh, the little children shall lead them. And the Bible says that when his word goes forth, it will not return unto him void. God speaks to you and God speaks to me through this document we know as the Holy Bible. And God speaks to us by Spirit. Now I know that sounds a little mysterious and mystical and all that, but the Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his sorrowing disciples, when he told them he was leaving, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the Spirit, the pneumos, the breath of God, to come. And the Spirit is here. 
It's with you. And it's with me. And you know, I know it sounds mysterious, but you know, I can't see the wind, but I feel the wind. And you feel the wind. I can't see love, but I feel love and I sense love. I can't see the Spirit, but I feel the Spirit and you feel the Spirit. God spoke to those ancient Israelites. At a time they were vulnerable. They were subject to enemies. There were enemies who wanted to subdue them. There were enemies who wanted to destroy them. And God reached out to His people. And God said, If you would but listen to Me, if you will only listen, and He promised them, I will subdue your enemies. I will protect and provide for you. But, boy, that's a powerful word, isn't it? But, but they would not listen. They would not listen. And so God turned them over, read it for yourself, to their stubborn hearts and their wayward ways. God is speaking. Are we listening? So I'll close with this. Marjorie Hamilton writes, it was the worst winter of her life. Marjorie Hamilton was an only child. She was raised by a single parent or mother. Never knew her father. Marjorie Hamilton's mother died at the tender age of 58 in western Pennsylvania where she was born and raised. But Marjorie had lived her adult years in southern Florida. Certainly she had been there and cared for her mother and nurtured her mother, been the caregiver and all that. But when she returned following her mother's service, she writes, it was the worst winter of my life. The following spring, Marjorie needed to return to western Pennsylvania to just tie up a few loose ends of her mother's modest estate. And the first thing she wanted to do, she wanted to go to her mother's gravesite. She wanted to pay her respects one more time and to honor her mother. So visualize in your mind a scene. Marjorie and her husband are walking across the cemetery toward her mother's gravestone. And all of a sudden, they are startled by a robin that is flying directly at them. Not in an overly aggressive way, but in a way to announce its presence. And then they get to the gravestone and Marjorie's pleased to see that the artificial wreath she had placed on her mother's gravestone was still intact. But she noticed that there was a bird's nest that had been built into wreath. And so her intent was to remove it, to get rid of it. But as she got closer and as she started to reach for the bird's nest, all of a sudden she was stopped because she heard the tiny sound of little baby robins chirping, waiting for their mother to return for the next meal. Marjorie Hamilton writes, that's when it hit me. In a place for the dead, new life, new life is springing forth. 
And then she remembered those powerful words of Christ. How he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Nancy Jenkins lives on. And someday you'll be reunited with your mother and your family member. But God spoke to Margie Hamilton by His Word and by His Spirit. And God speaks to us. And the question is, are we listening? Let's pray. Gracious God, may our hearts and souls and spirits be attuned to your still small voice, your gentle whisper. May we not only hear, but may we respond that we might indeed be faithful disciples of Christ. In his holy name I pray. Amen.